I'm going to invite you this morning to turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. As you're doing that, allow me just to say thank you to you church family as well as uh, Roman for filling in for me last Sunday. Uh, Our family was away. We actually visited a local church in the area, Graceway Fellowship. Uh, This is a a church of the same denomination as ours. And at least once a year, our family likes to visit another local church to be an encouragement to the pastor and the leaders of that church. And we had a marvelous time uh, worshiping there uh, under the leadership of, of Pastor Rick, what a, a godly man he is. And so thank you for allowing us to, to get away. And it's really good to be back with you as well. As you're turning there, let us look here at Luke chapter 12, and we're going to be reading verses 13 through 34 together. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told him a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there where I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods. Laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small thing as that, Why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches. And no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, 
there will your heart be also. Father, we thank you for your word today that's been preserved for us. We pray that you would help us to understand it, that we would be convicted by your word. It would bring transformation in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a man named Sam Houston. He was the sixth governor of Texas. As he went into the frontier of Texas, he was like many men of his time, rough and rugged. The men during the 1850s were known for their fighting, their gambling, their drinking, cursing, and even killing. Sam Houston fit that mold perfectly. In fact, his friends called him the big drunk. But Houston had married a godly woman actually a Baptist woman, and for many years she prayed for her husband, Sam, to come to faith in Christ. And if you would have asked him in his early adult years, he said, I'm a follower of Jesus, but he never followed through with baptism. He never was a member of a local church. Later in his life, God broke through, bringing Sam to repentance, turning his life over that Jesus would be the king of his life. And Sam was going to follow through with what we call believer's baptism on November 19th, 1854 at Brushy Creek. Because everyone knew Sam Houston, there was a large crowd that had gathered that day to witness his baptism service. It was estimated around 250 people. Just before he was about ready to get baptized, the pastor said, Sam, I suggest you take off your watch and chain. If those get dunked on water, they might get ruined. And Sam said, oh, I'm glad you said that. I'll take those off. And then the pastor said, oh, I can't help but notice you still have your wallet in your pocket. You might want to take that off too. But Sam said, no, I think not, pastor. I'm afraid that needs to be baptized too. And indeed, a great change took place in Sam Houston's life. Not not there at the water baptism, but when he had confessed Christ before that. And you could observe differences in his life, even in the area of how he managed God's finances in his life. In fact, historians told us that he financed 50% of that pastor's salary. And he also gave generously to Baylor University, that at one time was a Christian university that trained young ministers. He gave generously to those young men as they were coming through the ranks to learn how to pastor local churches. Isn't that the way that salvation should be? It should not only affect our eternal destiny, but also our worldly possessions. Not just touch our soul, but also our wallet. Now, here's the main point of the message today. And if you listen to this next sentence, you could check out for the next 30 minutes. I hope you won't. But here is the sentence, the main idea. How we manage money reveals a great deal about the depth or lack thereof of our relationship with Jesus. Today, I have the privilege of entering into a series on giving. Now, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek because if you are like me, at least many years ago, as I 
started coming to church, I was a new Christian, when I heard that a pastor at the church I was attending was going to start a series on giving, skepticism flooded through my veins as my mind, my mind replayed all sorts of pastors that had misused funds, that made headlines on newspapers and, and led the news, the nightly news. And if that is your immediate reaction, I get it. Many of my peers over the years have abused money. I want to assure you that we are not going to be covering something called indulgences. Indulgences are something of a church tradition that says, if you will give to a particular church, a particular ministry, then I hereby declare that your sins are forgiven and that you will be assured of going to heaven. That is nowhere to be found in scriptures. I'll tell you another false teaching that often comes when a pastor begins to speak on a message on money is that if you will give to a church, if you will give to a ministry, then God will make you wealthy on this earth. And that too is found nowhere in scriptures. I'm fully aware that I might begin this series on this day, and next week the crowd might be thinned out a little bit. But here's, here's what I have before me. When you look at the scriptures, around 2,300 verses have to do with money and possessions. Of the 39 parables that Jesus taught on, 16 of them had to do with money and possessions. Of all the words that Jesus taught in the Gospels, around 25% of those words had to do with money and possessions. And if it's my responsibility to preach the word to you, and it is, then I cannot tiptoe around this subject. Rather, eventually we will have to get to money and possessions. So by way of introduction this morning, I want to just introduce a few sentences to you. Here, let me give you the first one. If you have a bulletin, then you have a sermon outline, and you could work your way through these. There will be discussion questions on the back that you can discuss with your family sometime over lunch or your small group that you meet with sometime this week. Here's the first just introductory statement that I want to make about money. And it is this. Money is simply a tool for trade. Cash is just paper. Coins are just metal. The only value that they have is that we in this culture, in this society, make an agreement that with that paper and with that metal, that there is a promise of goods and services. Back in the day, maybe where they traded and they bartered and cash was not so prevalent, a, a farmer might have had cattle and chickens and eggs and milk and if he wanted some lumber to add on to his barn, he would go to the manager, the owner of the lumber mill, and he would trade them. But money, cash, and this metal is a much more efficient means of trade. If you're sitting in a church one day and you hear someone get up and speak about the poverty of Africa and how there are families that are starving to death, that lack clean water and food. I suppose one response would be for you to purchase a pallet of water, a pallet of food, 
charter a flight and, and go over to Africa and when you arrive to hire a translator and then try to transport it from the airport to villages. That's, that's certainly one way to do it, but it'd be very cumbersome. Another way to do it is to know a, a ministry that's already there. A people that know the culture, know the language, know that that message of Jesus will be presented as the water and the food are being handed out. A much more efficient way of doing that. And you could wire money to a bank in Africa, or you could Venmo, or you could PayPal it. And in a short period of time, those resources would get into the hands that you would desire to meet the need. Money is just simply a tool for trade. Money is kind of like water. Water is something that can be very good, refreshing. It can hydrate your body. Water can provide relief on a hot July day as you dip into a pool. But water can also bring damage. In the spring, as there's a thaw, three or four straight days of rain, and the, the water can go over the banks, flood out your basement, flood out properties. Money is like fire. Fire can be very helpful to us. It provides heat for cooking, warmth for our homes, and who doesn't like the ambiance of sitting around a campfire? But fire can also bring damage, burning forests, burning homes, and even bring death. So money is just simply a tool for trade. Let me give you a second introductory statement as we kick off our series this morning, and that is money is neither good nor bad. Money is neutral. There are times throughout the Scriptures, as we review these 2,300 verses in the Bible, there are times in the Scriptures where God would choose to bless His people with money. Do you remember the story of Job? Job had this wonderful family. He had a wonderful business, a lot of children. And one day, God tested him and began to remove all of this, including his health. And in the book of Job, we see how God is sovereign, that God knows what is best in our life. And by the grace of God, Job remains faithful to him. But at the end, what we see is God rewards Job for his faithfulness. In Job 42, verse 10, it says, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Do you remember Solomon? Here's Solomon, the the son of King David. David's gone, and now this young man Solomon is given the opportunity to be king of Israel. So what are you going to pray for Solomon? Do you remember what he prayed for? He prayed for wisdom, that God would give him insight on how to lead the kingdom. And as a result of asking for wisdom, according to 2 Chronicles 1, verses 11 and 12, God said to him, Because this was on your heart, and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you, and have not even asked for long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may govern my people over whom I've made you king, wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as none of the kings who have had were before you, and none after you shall have the like. 
there are times when God wants to bless us, according to the Bible, He does bless us with possessions, with money. That, that same Solomon became the wisest man ever to live, aside from Jesus. And he wrote out some of that wisdom in the book of Proverbs and in the book of Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, he wrote, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept this lot and rejoice in his toll, this is the gift of God. So here's what I'm saying. The Bible says that house that you have is a gift. That car that you have is a gift. The clothing that you are wearing today is a gift, a sign of God's blessing upon you. That steak that you enjoy eating, that seafood that you have a craving for, or whatever you will have today for lunch, it is a gift from God. He blesses us with possessions. Let me give you a third introductory statement. Money is a wonderful tool, but an awful God. Money is a wonderful tool, but an awful God. As we get back into the passage of which I was reading just a little while ago, we see in verse 13 that someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I wonder if you've ever experienced this or seen this in your family where people fight over possessions, fight over money. This is what is taking place. And and Jesus said, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So what we see here is that this brother felt he was being slighted because of possessions. And so his relationship with his brother was now experiencing conflict. And Jesus is saying, no, listen, it's just stuff. It's not something to be sought after. Possessions and money will make an awful God. We could read a little bit further. Jesus launches into a parable of a rich man who's had a field that was producing all sorts of crops, so much crops that he did not have a big enough barn to put all of that wealth in. And so he says, I'm going to tear it down and I'm going to build larger barns. And he did that. But his motives, as you see according to verse 9, was soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. This appears to be the American plan, the American dream. Save now so you can relax in your later years. But in verse 20, we see that God says to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Why was he a fool? Look at verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He was prioritizing the God of comfort and of ease 
And he was looking to build a treasure here on earth where one day someone else would have, and he wouldn't even be able to enjoy it. Listen to what the Bible says in Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. you got to either serve God or you got to serve money. You can't do both. Paul, writing to a young minister named Timothy, said, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from their faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Many years ago, I was serving in a church in Michigan, and there was a young man that was going through the youth group. He came from a very godly family where they were devoted to the local church. He was there. He was present. And as we moved here, I tried to maintain some contact with him. And when I did, I learned that he really was drawn to money. A lot of it. And he got into the stocks and he was like, all I want to do is acquire a whole bunch of money. And he would say, anytime you want, Chad, let me know and I'll drop you some clues about the stock market so, so you too can make money. But what I observed in this young man was at one time, He sought and treasured after the things of God. But his pursuit of money had drawn him away from the things of God and drawn him to pursuing material wealth. And I did not see the devotion that I had once seen. Jesus once taught a parable about one preaching the word. He said it was like a farmer that goes out in a field and scatters seed. And that seed falls on a path where birds pluck it up. Or the seed falls on the rocky soil where there's no depth. Or the seed falls on the thorns, but it can never take root. Or the seed falls on good soil. And he was saying like, when a person preaches the gospel, the word, sometimes it falls on good soil, but other times it doesn't. And when Jesus would go back and explain that parable, he said in Matthew 13, For the one sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So we're thinking about money this morning that's neutral. It's a tool. It's neither good nor bad. It makes a wonderful tool, but it makes an awful God. In fact, the Bible would say it's okay to have money, but we are, seem to be tempted when we have lots of it. So, so let me get now to the main point of our message. Look again with me at verse 34. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let me make a, a final statement, number four. The way we manage money reveals the motivation of our hearts. You know, oftentimes we'll say, if you want to know what's in your heart, listen to the words that come out of your mouth. And Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, 
His mouth speaks. And that is so biblical. But I think when it comes to possessions and money, we could also say, out of the abundance of the heart, men and women manage money. So how is it we take care of God's resources in our life? That's a direct correlation to what we value or what we treasure. Show me a person that has a lack of self-control, and I have some very strong guesses of how they manage money. Show me a person that is discontent, and I have a very strong opinion of what their, their spending habits will be like. Show me a person that is selfish, I have a pretty good idea of what their bank record will record, right? Our hearts are revealed in the way that we manage resources. And the same can be said to a person that is satisfied, a person who is wise and godly. The way that they spend their money will tell a great deal about their relationship with Jesus. Consider with me some examples in the Bible. There were times in which Jesus would approach a person and in fact, he knew exactly what would keep them from being a follower of his. And he addressed it immediately. Do you remember Levi? Levi is actually Matthew, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew. When he approached Levi, a tax collector, it says in Matthew, or Luke chapter 5, after this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Sitting at the tax booth, he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he, Levi, rose and followed him. There are times where Jesus pinpoints the very obstacle that will keep us from following him. And he says, you need to forsake that in order to follow me. Do you remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus also in the Gospel of Luke. It says, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And Zacchaeus stood and said to him, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. There is a great correlation between our heart and how we manage God's resources in our life. Do you remember the rich, young ruler? He came to Jesus. You remember the question he asked? How can I have eternal life? And what Jesus does is he takes him through the Ten Commandments so that he would realize that he is a sinner in need of grace. And Jesus said to him in Luke 18, 21, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad. Why? For he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he becomes sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth 
to enter the kingdom of God. Over the years, as I've sat down with men and women who have walked with God for a long time, and we exchange stories and we talk about what were the markers in your life of which God brought maturity into your life, almost always those stories will relate to the possessions that we have and how God, like he did with Abraham, wanted him to lay down his son Isaac. They would say, you know, there were these things in my life that were more important to me than God. And God said, you need to lay this possession, this, this resource down. And one of the great markers in my life was laying it down. And God brought blessing as a result of it. When we look here at Luke chapter 12 in these verses, we see not only the, the brother that is given into materialism. I'm, I'm upset that my brother is not sharing his inheritance. The, the old man or the, the wealthy man that had all these barns and this, all this harvest that is given over, he too given over to comfort. But then we see as Jesus turns and talks to his disciples in verses 22 and following, they're given over to fear. If I, if I go all in and seek to serve God, what about my food and what about my clothing? What about my shelters? And Jesus is telling them over and over again, he takes care of the lily of the fields, he takes care of the birds of the air. All you need to really do is focus on the ministry that God has given to you. And he will take care of the rest. Let us consider this idea of treasure found in verse 34. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Our treasure will be on earth or in heaven. When it says where, there in verse 34, for where your treasure is, there's only two possibilities for our treasures. It'll either be in the earth, on this place, or they will be in heaven. How we manage money and possessions is an indicator of where our treasures lie. What Jesus is doing in this passage is urging his followers to look beyond this earth, but to consider sending treasures towards heaven. Here's the second point about this verse. Our treasure will be on earth or in heaven. The second point is our treasure will be temporal or eternal. Look at what it says in verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with a treasure in the heavens that do not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. You can either amass treasure here on earth that will just spoil, or you have another choice, to send it ahead to heaven. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5 says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. And then as we look at verse 34 again, let me give you one more statement. Our hearts will go to where our treasures are. Colossians 3, Paul wrote, he said, If then you have been raised with Christ, 
Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. We are commanded to set our minds not on the earth, but to set our minds on the things above. Randy Alcorn said this, My heart always goes where I put my money. The old man was only putting his money for treasures on this earth. And God called that retirement plan foolish. But as we look at this passage, there's actually an encouragement to us to consider not only our lives, but our eternity. We have the opportunity right now while we are still living to amass treasures not on this earth, but there in the heavens. So let me ask you this by way of application. Where is your treasure? Someone has said, if you really want to know what your treasure is, you can go through some diagnostic questions. You see these in your outline. Here's the first. What do you delight in? What is it that makes you happy What do you get excited about? Now, some of these blessings that are in our life, that we shouldn't feel guilty. It's not sinful to be excited about our family. It's not not sinful to to delight in them. But do you you treasure a a new article of clothing, a shirt or a pair of pants, a, a trophy buck, a trophy fish? Do you delight in the Packers making the playoffs? Or do you delight in some things that are actually eternal? And and that's what verse 34 is encouraging us to consider. What makes you angry? Here's a second question. When someone disrespects you, when they take something that belongs to you, when they damage your property, when someone hurts you or hurts a loved one, is there anything of eternal value that you get angry over? What's your greatest fear? Loss of a loved one, losing your job, bankruptcy, being alone, rejection by family or friends? A thoughtful analysis of these three questions can help us to discern what is it that we are treasuring. How we manage money reveals the condition of our relationship with Jesus. If you were to ask me, Chad, why are we going to go through a series for the next five weeks on giving? I would say it's out of love. I would say it's out of a responsibility that I feel to prepare you for eternity. To say, I want to challenge myself. I want to challenge you to see how are we using God's resources in our life. And if God would lead you to give to Highland Crest or some other ministry, all I would say is to give towards that. I want you to be wise in the resources that God has privileged you with to be thinking not only about this life, but the life to come. So let me tell you where we're going to go. Today we're focusing on the heart. Next week we'll focus on ownership. Who really is it that owns everything? A couple of weeks we'll we'll talk about eternity and, and living for eternity. And then we're going to talk about training. Now, where do I get started in this giving? 
So I'm just going to give you a heads up. We're going to have a whole message on the training wheels of giving. It's something called tithing. And then we're going to wrap the series up. But what does it look like to have treasures in heaven? So I would hope that you will listen to this message. I hope you'll take these discussion questions on the back and that you will apply them in your life. There's a wonderful pastor, one of the great pastors of the Baptist Church named W.A. Criswell. And he shared an illustration one day of a man named John Raskus who put $300 in the collection plate. When it passed, the people around him there in the chairs said, I'll see you in heaven. Those around him said, Old John, man, he is senile. He thinks that he's going to see that $300 one day in heaven. When he meets his maker over there, he certainly is not going to see that money. Now the church treasurer used some of that $300 to pay the electric bill. He gave some of it to the preacher to buy gasoline, and some was sent to ministerial students, and some was sent to the mission field. Early one morning, John Raskus died in his sleep. On the first Lord's Day in glory, he walked down the golden streets, and a young fellow came up and said, Thank you, Brother John. I was cold and lonely, and it was a dark night. I saw the lights of the church. Just got out of the dark, I went in. While there in the darkness, my soul was lifted, and I found Jesus. Another came to him. The preacher came to my gas station. I filled his tank. He told me about Jesus, and I gave my heart to the Lord. Next, John met a throng of people who said, I want to thank you for those students you helped. They preached the gospel to my family, and we found the Lord. He next met those of strange tongues who said, Thank you, brother, for sending us the gospel across the seas. Finally, old John came to the Hallelujah Square and turning to an angel said, I feel sorry for you angels. You've never known what it is to be saved by the blood of Jesus, my Lord. John Raskius mused a moment and then added, And you don't know what it is to transform the possessions of earth into the treasures of heaven. Sir, replied the angel, all we do is just watch it from the streets of gold. The poor person is the one whose only wealth is money. Those who have their hearts fixed on heaven will hold loosely the things of earth. I'm excited about the weeks ahead. I hope you'll come back. (laughs) I hope you'll be here as we just look at what the Scripture says about finances, about eternity, and about heaven. As we wind down this message, we're going to be singing a song called, I Surrender All. Oh my goodness. We're in church today, and I don't want you to lie. So unless you are really prepared to sing that chorus, please do. If you're at a place right now where you're like, you know what? I've got so many things in my life right now that I need to to give up. Why don't you do that this morning? Sort through what that looks like to do that. It's occurred to me as we've been thinking about heaven today and about our future and possessions, what good would it do for us to be talking about that if your soul 
is not secure and you're not saved. That's the most important thing. Who cares about the money? What you need to focus on right now is your sin. You need to repent of your sins. Jesus has come to die on the cross for your sins. He took the punishment that you deserve. You need to call out to him that you would be saved from your sins, that you would be born again. And then God will just begin to do a work in all the areas of your life, including your possessions. But the application for you is, one, just to get saved with God. That is your greatest need right now. Turn from your sins. Place your faith in what Jesus has done for you. Would you stand with me as the music team comes? And let us just prepare our hearts right now as we contemplate these words. Our Father, we thank you for a passage here that's just so clear. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it forces us to examine where is our treasure? Where is our priorities? What are we most passionate about? Oh, Father, I encourage you to search our hearts. May the Spirit search my heart. Bring conviction that the answer is not Jesus and heaven. Lord, bring a great conviction over our church family. May we look distinctly different from a world of materialism. Would we not be so short-sighted to just have treasures here on earth where moth and rust will destroy and where thieves will break in and steal. But may we be about sending treasures forward in, in advance. May we have teachable hearts during the next several weeks as we work through this series. May we be willing to discuss these things and be honest And may your grace be applied to change our hearts. Father, I pray for those who are here today that didn't anticipate coming in and hearing about money, but they've heard about heaven. And there's an invitation for them, despite their past, despite the sin, despite the guilt that they might feel today, that they could experience eternal life right now and forever. If that's you today, I just want to urge you to pray something like this. Oh God, I am a sinner. I have fallen short of what you ask of me. And my sin is sending me to hell. I'm I'm under your judgment because of this sin. Save me. I believe in what Jesus has done for me on the cross. He's been my substitute. I, I trust only in what he has done to save me. Enter my life. Be the king. Be the ruler of all areas of my life. From this day forward, I want to walk with you. And friend, if you've, if you've prayed that, if that is the desire of your heart, then you're a new person. And You're beginning a new life of Jesus being your guide and your leader. We would love to come alongside you and give you a Bible, 
teach you some of the basics of what it looks like to be a follower of Christ, please let us know today somewhere on your way out. Or if you find yourself in this process of learning more about this, and you say, I have some questions, call the church. We'd be delighted to talk with you further. Lord, we thank you for meeting with us and using your word again to help us to understand what you value. In Jesus' name, amen.